You know, we have, uh, if, you, if you saw in the video, we just had such a great week this week. I mean, this place was literally bursting at the seams with 250 kids and over 100 volunteer leaders. I mean, singing, doing crafts and Bible stories, games, food, all around this theme of life is wild, but God is good. And Christine Vogley and her crew, they did such an awesome job. Be sure and thank Christine. She was looking a little haggard this morning, as you can imagine. But when it comes to children's ministry, I mean, she is just absolutely the best around. And I love VBS week because I get to dress up and kind of go along with the theme. I get to interact with people throughout the week. And the first day is always so interesting because there's usually some drama as the kids are getting dropped off. You know, that very normal separation anxiety. The moms and dads are trying to help little Sammy and Susie to kind of just go with the flow. The parents start off trying to be very logical, reasonable. They do this kind of cost-benefit analysis with the child. Say, you know, try to convince them of all the positive benefits. You know, you're going to make new friends, you're going to play games, you're going to have a snack, all this good stuff. Have you ever tried to reason with a five-year-old who's holding his breath until his face turns red? You know, it just, it just really doesn't work too well. I mean, the kids are not thinking, you know, hmm, is this investment of my time really worth my energy, you know? Um, so trying to reason with the children, that only lasts, you know, a little while. Then the parents start to negotiate. If you do this now, then later we'll go for ice cream or we'll, uh, you know, go to the pool or I'll buy you a pony or something like that. They, they come up with some inducement to convince the kids to give it a try and not give up. For some kids that works, for other kids they just dig in their heels and the tug of war continues. Then negotiating turns into bribing. Here's a sucker, get in line, right? At this point, the parents are still holding it together. They still have that sweet little parent voice, but you can detect kind of that note of stress. And then it jumps to threatening. As the parents get very close to their kid's face and they talk through clenched teeth and they say, if you don't get in line, I'm going to rip the head off your teddy bear, you know? <laughs> That's when the cell phones come out because there might be some good video in a second. If you were that parent, all the rest of us parents would tell you, we've been there, okay? We know what that's like. And actually, it's not that different with adults. I mean, how do you convince people to do something that you know will be good for them, but they're hesitant, they're reluctant, they're stubborn? How do you help someone who's ready to quit and just kind of throw in the towel? How do you get yourself to stick with it when you're trying to make a change in your own life, something you know is going to be good for you, but you can't quite get the momentum going to make the change? You're kind of stuck in your own self-induced rut when it's so much easier just to give up. And that's what we want to focus in on this morning, how you find the, the grit to stick with it when we feel like giving up? How do we find the inner strength to go deeper with Christ when sometimes even in our faith we feel like giving up? I'm going to be reading from Psalm 78, verses 1 through 11, if you want to follow along. And at first you're going to wonder, well, how in the world does this passage relate to the theme that I've described? But stick with me and we'll find out in just a few minutes. Psalm 78 goes like this. A mascal of Asaph. O my people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, what we have heard and known, what our forefathers have told us. We will not hide them from our children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our forefathers to teach their children so that the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. Then that they would put their trust in God, would not forget his deeds, 
but would keep his commands. They would not be like their forefathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wonders that he had shown them. Amen. Thanks be to God for his word. You know, every one of us, I think, at some point feels like quitting. You know, quit a job, leave a relationship, walk away from a tough project. Boy, it just feels so much easier just to quit. It's easier to throw in the towel, kind of abandon ship. Because when you're faced with, you know, a situation that's constant frustration, misunderstanding, or hostility, where there's physical pain or mental strain, it's just easier to quit. It's just easier to quit than to marshal all the energy and the ideas and the enthusiasm to keep going. In fact, it actually feels good to quit, at least at first. I mean, psychologists have discovered that when you give up on something that's frustrating you, your brain actually releases some of that you know, pleasure chemical, the dopamine. There's a sense of relief. It, it feels good to quit in the short term because temporarily the load is lifted off your shoulders, the pressure's off, people are kind of off your case, the stress evaporates a little bit. But quitting creates a strange undertow in life, especially if quitting becomes a habit. When you quit on the important things, your life actually gets more complicated because in trying to eliminate the stress in one area, maybe you're actually compounding your frustration in another because you're creating new problems, you create worse problems, and then the cycle of frustration begins all over again. For example, I, I would guess probably every high school kid has at some point thought, boy, it would be great to drop out of school. Just not have to do any more homework, right? And they're right, it would feel good in the short term. Stay in bed all morning, just play video games. But in about a week, you'd be bored to death because all your friends are still in school. And then later, when you're trying to find a job, guess what? Not too many people are hiring high school dropouts. And that brings in a whole new level of pain that kind of rolls into life. And if quitting becomes a habit, when you face the tougher problems in life, you don't just miss out on job opportunities, you actually miss out on the satisfaction in life that comes through sustained commitment to reaching your goals. That's how God kind of put us together. We're wired to feel good when we meet a challenge, when we conquer a problem through sustained, disciplined effort. The brain doesn't just release that pleasure sensation when we quit, but even more so when we succeed. The brain releases that pleasure drug then too when we successfully conquer a problem. Sticking with something, seeing it through even though it's difficult and tough, gives us that great sense of accomplishment, of purpose, and a positive self-image. You discover, hey, there's more to you than you thought. This ability to stick with it is one of the things I think good parents want to pass on to their children. Don't give up. Even when it's hard, when your team is down and there's only a couple more minutes in the game, don't give up. When you're struggling with school or in finding a job or so many things, don't give up. I think I've shared this story before, but I remember it so clearly as a pivotal point in my own life when I was in middle school at Boy Scout camp. I had to take this you know, water safety test where you have to jump into the deep water with wearing your clothes over your swimsuit. And the idea is you have to take off your jeans, tie knots in the legs, flip them over your head and blow air into them to create a temporary flotation device. I mean, it's crazy, right? How, how many people have actually had to do that? I know a lot of you. Okay, I'm not alone here. Boy, did I struggle. 
I mean, I just, I just could not do it. I just about drowned trying to blow air into my stupid pants, you know. I just couldn't tread water anymore, and I was ready to give up and swim to shore. But my scout leader would not let me quit. He was yelling at me. He was in my face. He was telling me. He was practically bullying me. He said, if you give up in a real-life situation, you drowned, Ebert, so you're not going to give up. He was practically spitting in my face. And finally, after I'd swallowed like half the lake, I did it. I got enough air into my stupid pants that I was able to float. And I have to tell you, that event has stuck in my mind ever since. Why? Because it felt so good when I finally succeeded. It felt so good because it was so difficult for me to do. It felt so good because I discovered I did have some inner strength that I didn't know I had. There was more to me than I realized. And I'm so glad that scout leader didn't let me quit. He didn't let me give up on me. It was a great life lesson. It is good to meet life's challenges through sustained effort. We need the struggle. That's how we grow and develop. It's sort of like the butterfly coming out of a cocoon. It needs the struggle in order to strengthen its wings for flight. Without the struggle, the butterfly will not survive. And in the same way, we need the struggle the stick to because that's what actually makes us grow. So it's true in our relationship with God. This summer we've been focusing in on God's message to misfits and it's stories from Scripture where people were ready to throw in the towel on their relationship with God. But God is sort of like my scout leader. He will not give up on them. And God helps people move into a deeper relationship with Him. And their new beginning actually then has to be followed by a daily determination to follow Christ. A new beginning without a daily determination, that means it's just going to fade away like last year's New Year's resolutions, right? Psalm 78 is a mascal. It is a teaching psalm. It's a history psalm designed to instruct those who hear its message. It begins by saying, listen, lean in, pay close attention to what the author Asaph is going to say. And he says, remember the past, so that you can pass on these truths to your children, so that they don't make the same mistakes. Verse 5, we will not hide them from our children. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power, His wonders done for His children. You've heard the expression, you know, those who forget the past are destined to repeat it. And that was so true of ancient Israel. There was this discernible cycle in the Old Testament. The people of Israel, they'd get into some kind of trouble. They'd cry out to God for help and deliverance. God would hear. God would rescue them. They'd then respond with thanksgiving and worship. They'd rededicate themselves to the Lord. But soon, the memory of the crisis would fade, and their commitment would fade, and then until the next crisis, and the cycle would all start up again. We are not so different. Do you remember how all the churches in this area were just jam-packed after 9-11? absolutely full, every one of them. Every politician in the country wanted to mention God and talk about prayer and all their sound bites. But within four months, all the churches emptied out again. The immediate crisis was over, and so was their interest in God. American novelist Ernest Hemingway, he writes this uh, short story, a one-paragraph short story, where he perfectly captures this idea of temporary commitment. It's about a soldier during World War I who was hugging the side of his foxhole during, during an enemy artillery barrage, and it goes like this. While the bombardment was knocking the trench to pieces at Fossilada, he lay very flat and sweated and prayed, Oh, Jesus Christ, get me out of here. Dear Jesus, please get me out. 
Christ, please, 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 Christ, if you'll only keep me from getting killed, I'll do anything you say. I believe in you. I'll tell everyone in the world that you're the only one that matters. Please, please, dear Jesus. The shelling moved further up the line. We went to work on the trench, and in the morning the sun came up, and the day was hot and muggy and cheerful and quiet. The next night back at Mestra, he did not tell the girl he went upstairs with at the Villa Rosa about Jesus, and he never told anybody. The soldier prays with, with everything he's got, pleading with God to protect him, makes all kinds of promises about how he's going to love and serve God if only God will get him through the battle. Well, the artillery stops and he's still alive, but what happens to his spiritual commitments? They disappear as quickly as the smoke clears. He gives up. He quits on God. Are we really any different? You see, Psalm 78 focuses in on this group of people called the men of Ephraim. Ephraim was the youngest son of Joseph. His name means God made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. It's a really good name. Ephraim uh, was, a, was given a special blessing by Joseph that gave him and all his descendants a valuable place in the people of Israel. After Israel got established in the land of Canaan, their, their plot of land was like the best one. They had the ideal location. As a tribe, they were rich. They were known as skilled soldiers. Ephraim had a great heritage in their relationship with God. From their tribe came all these great heroes of the Old Testament, Joshua and Gideon and Samuel. The tribe of Ephraim had everything it needed to be strongly used by God. And so from the outside, everything looked great. And yet life teaches us that a strong past does not guarantee a healthy future. One of the great dangers in life is to live off of yesterday's blessings and on yesterday's faith. As baseball legend Babe Ruth once said, yesterday's home runs don't win today's games. The men of Ephraim, they had a great heritage. They had everything they needed for God. The latest weapons, the best things money could buy. They loved Memorial Day parades. They loved target practice. They had a great drill team. Uh, they, when they marched, their sandals were, were, were polished. Their arrow tips were gleaming. On the surface, they looked like they were an impressive army. But verse 9 says this, The men of Ephraim, though armed with bows, turned back on the day of battle. They had everything they needed except heart. They had everything they needed except determination. They had everything they needed except stick to They were the originators of the phrase cut and run. Their fastest maneuver was waving the white flag of surrender. Their plan was to choke the enemy with a cloud of dust as they retreated. They looked impressive, but they melted away like a pat of butter on a hot skillet. And so they failed God who had been so faithful to them. Why did the men of Ephraim fail? Verse 10, they did not keep God's covenant refused to live by his law. They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. Here's the key. They failed in their warfare because they failed in their daily walk. They failed in their warfare because they failed in their daily walk. That's where the quitting started, was in their daily walk with God. God wanted them to live life based on his word, but they would not listen and they did not remember. They looked good on the outside, but their hearts were not right. They didn't take seriously their need for a healthy relationship with the Lord. And so they're forever memorialized in Scripture as the team that quit at halftime. You know, our culture is kind of afflicted with this quitting habit. Something doesn't go your way, just quit. Your marriage hits a few hard spots, bail out. School's difficult, abandon ship. 
Your boss dumps too much responsibility on your shoulders. You don't feel appreciated. Move on. You know, I'm really concerned that we're raising a generation where parents have so protected their children from having to face and solve problems on their own without mom or dad's intervention that as adults they're not going to be able to know what to do when a real problem hits them and mom and dad aren't there to fix it. God wants us to be people who develop discipline and determination. Quitting might feel good in the short term, but you know, running away never really solves anything. Nobody ever said the Christian life was easy. It takes a daily investment of your energy and your time to keep your life and your faith with Christ healthy and moving forward. It takes discipline to regularly read Scripture or to use that devotional book to kind of guide you each day. It takes commitment to, to keep up with a prayer life. It takes discipline to find the time to be a volunteer in ministry. And the truth is, everyone is going to have problems, frustrations. Faith doesn't make any of that disappear. In fact, these days, being a follower of Jesus, it might actually create more tension as you try to live God's way in a world that at best ignores God and at worst dishonors Him. But you know, there's always a negative or positive response to every problem, and the key is to never let a problem become an excuse. The tough situations in life will either be a stumbling block or they'll be a stepping stone to a deeper relationship with the Lord. And here's another important truth. Good must be active or evil is automatic. Good must be active or evil is automatic. In the absence of light, darkness is automatic. In life, we call this entropy. If left to themselves, things degenerate. Things run down. They descend into chaos and confusion. Relationships, organizations, businesses, marriages, churches, families, whatever it is, it needs a daily investment of your time and your energy to keep it healthy. You don't have to plant weeds in a garden. They just happen. And that's why indifference is sort of the mantra of quitters, the shrug of the shoulders, the I don't care attitude. That is just deadly to the human spirit. That's a life destined for depression. In the New Testament, the Apostle Peter said it this way, 2 Peter 1.3, Christ's divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and goodness. God has given us everything we need, the power, the presence, the protection of Jesus. We have everything we need to sustain a flourishing relationship with God, but we have to do our part. And that means first we have to dedicate. We actually have to give it all that we've got we've, to sustain this relationship. You've got to care about it. You've got to get stirred up. You've got to realize, like they say, you don't drift to the top of a mountain. You don't drift in your relationship with the Lord either. Faith in Christ takes daily disciplined effort. You've got to kind of turn up the dials and open all the faucets, put something into it. Enthusiasm is a decision that's emotional enthusiasm is a decision that's emotional. You have to win that inner civil war by wanting it bad enough. You've got to win the inner battle, a godly resolve that says, I will, and the world has a strange way of backing up when somebody says, I will. Promise yourself that you won't give up. Promise yourself that you're going to take action. Secondly, communicate. If you need help, ask. Find out, well, who else has faced this problem? Go to them. Don't try to do it alone. Tell people about your struggles and your goals and your desires and what you think God might be calling you to do. Because when you keep it a secret, it's always easier to quit. By telling others, it provides you with kind of just this little extra motivation. 
uh, people who will hold you accountable to pursue the dreams that God has given you. Communicate. Third, insulate from negative people. There are going to be negative people who want to drag you down because quitters don't like it when other people succeed. So they'd rather make you look bad. They poison the water. You know, if you're around people and their humor is always sarcasm, well, that's because they're putting you down because they don't want you to go up. Negative people want you to stay where you are, and so they sabotage your best efforts. And you need to avoid people like that. Find positive, inspiring friends and supporters and pray that God would bring encouraging people into your life. And fourth and finally, celebrate. Let yourself feel the joy of accomplishment, of reaching your goals. Life is a battlefield, but it can also be a playground. So celebrate your successes. Celebrate graduations, even your small personal victories. Reward yourself in some way. Give yourself a pat on the back and celebrate. Now there's one caveat here. Because there is a time when the buzzer sounds and the game is over. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us there are times and seasons And there is a time to stop, a time to move on. I remember when my dad decided it was time to stop chemo when he was battling cancer. That was the right decision for him in those circumstances. There are times when you should leave a job and move on. There are times when relationships are broken beyond human repair. And if you're in a relationship where you're being physically or sexually abused, you need to get out of that relationship right away and get professional help. You're not going to be able to fix it on your own, so you need to get out and protect yourself. But in most areas of life and in your faith, let's make a commitment not to quit easily. Go more than halfway so that it's easier to finish than it is to go back. Let's trust God to give us the strength and the wisdom and the courage to face our problems and then honor Him with our actions. See ourselves grow through the struggle. Grow to become the person God intends for you to be strong, courageous, and joyful in the dirt journey. Don't quit. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you even for the negative example of the men of Ephraim, Lord, that we can learn from Scripture the importance of, of sticking with our commitments and, and finding that we grow through the struggle, that it's in the struggle that you meet us, Lord. It's when we go beyond what we've ever done before. That's when our faith has to grow stronger. And Lord, for anyone who is in that situation right now where they're feeling like they want to quit, help them to look back, like Psalm 78 says, to look back on all the ways you have been faithful in the past, all the ways that you have helped them uh, surmount problems, and then trust that that same God is at work in this particular circumstance. Help them not to give up, but to find their hearts refreshed and empowered by the presence of your Holy Spirit. And in your name we pray, amen.